You are about to listen to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is a Shmooz production. All of the Shmoozin, as well as all the series that deal with real life issues, are available on the Shmooz.com. At the Shmooz.com, you can download or listen live. All of the Shmoozin are available free of charge. Please visit us at www.theshmuz.com. That's theshmooze.com. I'd like to begin these halachas with a, a story from Chazal. Each session is going to have its own little event that happened because by learning it through the Chazal, we'll be able to see how, whether it be the Mepharshim or the Gemara itself, define it. And this will help us define the actual halachas of Lashon Hara. So let's begin with the following. When the Klai were in the Midbar, at a certain point, the entire encampment stops, and for seven days they rested and remained where they were. The reason for this was because Miriam had been sent Chutz Each of the camps, the Klai were arranged in various encampments, and there was an area outside the encampment for people who had saras. And for seven days, Miriam had to leave the actual encampment. She was exiled, and in honor of her, the entire class all didn't move, but obviously it was clearly a very real embarrassment to her. She had to be sent chutz Why is it that Miriam was sent chutz So Rakshi explains to us what had occurred. A little while earlier, Hashem told Moshe to appoint other people who would have a type of Ruach HaKodesh who would become Nevi'im. Somehow Eldad and Medad, who were not supposed to have Nevu'ah, were somehow involved and they got this Ruach and they too began being misnave. they began prophesizing. It just so happened to be that when Eldad and Medad were prophesizing, Miriam was standing next to Moshe's wife, Sipora. And Zipporah sort of let out a, an emotional sigh and said, Oy, I feel so terrible for their wives. Because their wives are now, their husbands are going to separate from their wives, just like my husband separated from me. From that, Miriam understood that Moshe, because he was a Novi, because he was a prophet, separated from his wife and remained not with her. Miriam had a problem with that. The problem was that she too was a Nevi'ah. Aaron also was a Navi, but they didn't separate from their spouses. Miriam went to Aaron and said to him as follows, Why is it that Moshe separates from his wife? Why is it that he can't be with her? We're also Nevi'im, and we also have a level of Kedusha, yet we are with our spouses. And in that manner, she complained to Aaron about her brother Moshe. Very shortly thereafter, Hashem has a major complaint against Aaron, against Miriam. Moshe Rabbeinu Davins for Miriam, but still Hashem says it can't be that such a afachema, such a anger should come about and she shouldn't be exiled. And in fact, she spent seven days in exile because of the Lashon Hara that she spoke. She spoke badly about Moshe Rabbeinu, and then because she spoke badly about Moshe Rabbeinu, she was sent into exile for seven days. And this is one of the famous sources for Lashon Hara. Now, let's sort of begin analyzing this. And as we use this case, I hope it will allow us to learn out a good number of different halachas. Let's begin with the following. What is the definition of Lashon Hara? 
So the Rambam tells us, <clears throat> he says as follows, If one tells over stories, that if they cause, that if they spread from person to person, to hurt his friend, and to hurt his friend, whether it be in his body or his money, or even to cause him some type of pain or some type of fear, that is Lashon Hara. Explains the Rambam, the definition of Lashon Hara is, if I tell stories, if I tell words, that if they spread, will eventually hurt a person, whether it hurts that person financially, whether it hurts that person in terms of embarrassment, pain, hurts them in terms of their standing or stature, or even if it just causes them pain or even just embarrassment, that is Lashon Hara. And it's important to understand that the Rambam is very literal and his Rambam has accepted halacha that the definition of Lashon Hara is words that hurt, words that damage. And that actually is the essence of the definition, telling over stories or events that are damaging to a person's reputation, to a person's standing, hurts them financially, or in some way causes them pain or embarrasses them. But let's focus on a few points that we pick up from the story of Miriam. Number one, what Miriam said was factually true. It happened to have been a fact that Sipora complained. And it happened to have been a fact that Moshe actually did separate from his wife. Now, whether that was correct or not is debatable, but every word that Miriam said was correct and was true. And explains the Chavetz Chaim that this is probably the biggest mistake that people make about what is and what is not Lashon Hara. Oftentimes a person will say, listen, it's not Lashon Hara because it's true. It really happened. I saw it. I know for a fact it happened. So obviously it's not Lashon Hara. Explains the Chavetz Chaim that by definition it has to be true. To make it Lashon Hara, it has to be a true fact. If a Ruvain really did something, and Ruvain really said something, he actually said it, and I repeat that. That's, by definition, what makes it Lashon Hara. If it's not true, if he didn't do it, it's a different of It's called Matzi Shemra. It's also included in the general concept of Lashon Hara. But the strict definition of Lashon Hara is that it's an event that's true. And Moshe really did separate from his wife. And Miriam said it over. That's the very definition of Lashon Hara. It's something that's true. And again, Chavetz Chaim explains that this is the biggest mistake we make about Lashon Hara because we assume that if it's true, obviously the Torah, Torah wants truth and the Torah wouldn't be mockbit about true things. But in fact, that is the single criteria for it being Lashon Hara that it has to be something that's true. Now, what's also interesting to note from this event with Miriam is that we learn out a specific prohibition. Zohar Miriam Remember, to mitzvah say to remember that which Hashem did to Miriam on the path. Meaning we have mitzvah say to constantly remember and to always be aware that a great tzaddikist like Miriam was so severely punished that for seven days she had to be chutzamach and the embarrassment, public knowledge, everyone recognized that she, the great rebbits and the great highly regarded person had to be literally exiled. There's a mitzvah say for us to remember constantly that that's how severe the Torah considers Lashon Hara. But what's interesting to note is that that is not the only prohibition, the only assay, or the only losa say involved in speaking Lashon Hara. 
The Chavetz Chaim in his introduction goes through quite a number of losa says, negative prohibitions, and says positive. Let's start with number one. <clears throat> Don't be a peddler in your nation. Number two, <clears throat> be careful not to get tzaras, not to get leprosy. Don't put a stumbling block in front of another person. The Chavetz Chaim counts in 17 separate losa says that a person can be over if he speaks Lashon Hara. If a person isn't careful, he could easily violate 17 separate losa says. He explains it's unlikely that in one little speech you'll violate all 17, but most of the time, if you're going to speak Lashon Hara, you'll be over at least a few losa says. In addition to that, there are quite a number of assays. Number one, as we said, remember that which Hashem did to Miriam Baderach. Number two, love your neighbor like yourself. Obviously, yourself, you're concerned, you're very concerned about your honor, your reputation. You don't speak badly about yourself. Don't speak badly about others. Judge your favor, favorably your friend. Council of Chaim, not only are there 17 los assays, there are 14 assays that again, one potentially could violate by speaking Lashon Hara. In addition to that, he mentions four curses, and altogether 17 los assays, 14 assays, and four curses. The point that the Chavetz makes here, and it's a very significant point, is that it's fully prohibited from the Torah. And this is probably the second largest mistake that we make. And most of the time, the reason we speak Lashon Hara is because Listen, I'm not saying it's a mitzvah, I'm not saying it's a great idea, but don't go make it like it's, uh, I don't know, eating treif. Come on. I mean, I wouldn't eat a cheeseburger, but Lashon Hara telling a little story, a little, come on, it's not nowhere near as serious as that, right? I'd like to share with you a very simple observation. It isn't that easy to violate a full losa say when you're eating treif food. Most of the time, when we eat what we might consider to be treif, it's a derabanan. But let's even say you walked into McDonald's. And let's even, for argument's sake, say that it really constitutes Bas B'chalov. And let's even say you sit down to eat a full Big Mac and you eat, consume this entire large hamburger with cheese. So, again, let's grant for a moment that it's Bas B'chalov. And I'll even grant that you ate two Kazesim. You might have violated two Lavim in the Torah, two negative prohibitions. Yet every time we open our mouths to speak, to tell a story, if we're not guarded, we will be over countless numbers of losases and assays, far more than eating a cheeseburger. On a regular basis, one simple story, one simple event carries with it many, many losases, many assays, far more egregious, far worse than eating a cheeseburger. And although I don't counsel anyone doing this, <clears throat> the reality is, if you had a choice of eating a cheeseburger or speaking Lashon Hara, you'd be better off speaking Lashon Hara. Now again, don't go trying this at home. It's certainly not a good idea. But the point being, the severity of the issue is so grave that the Torah gives us all of these 17 losases, 14 assays, and four separate curses because clearly the Torah considers it a major, major issue. But what's interesting to note from the story is that it wasn't just Miriam who was wrong in the situation. Rabbeinu Machai explains to us that as Miriam was wrong, so too was Aaron. Because the halacha is that it's forbidden for me to speak Lashon Hara, but it's also forbidden for you to listen to Lashon Hara. 
And as wrong as it was for Miriam to speak what she did against Moshe, it was as wrong for Aaron to listen to it. Rabbi Nochai explains this because Miriam began it. She was the one who was publicly punished. But there was also a complaint against Aaron, and he also didn't leave scot-free. And this is something that is also very important to note. It is forbidden for me to speak Lashon Hara. It is forbidden for me to listen to Lashon Hara. And it's also forbidden for me to be macabre, to accept as true Lashon Hara. So imagine for a minute, you tell me a story that Ruvain did such and such an event. And imagine for a moment that it's a derogatory story, and it defames him, paints him in a bad light, and he now long, no longer is that same person in my eyes. Number one, you spoke Lashon Hara with countless number of Isurim involved in it. Number two, I listened to Lashon Hara, which is also and is many Isurim involved. <clears throat> Number three, if I'm a Kabbalah, if I accept it as true, I violate a distinct and separate Isur. There's a full prohibition not to accept it as true. So even if you speak it and I listen, I have to force myself not to accept it as true. And that is a very real problem because typically we believe stories that people tell. It's very difficult not to accept it. And one of the reasons to be careful about who your friends are is because if you're in a chabur, if you're in a group, if you have friends who regularly speak Lashon Hara, it is very, very egregious and very, very serious and very, very difficult to get out of. Because the reality is people tend to be nice. I don't want to insult people. I don't want to be a, you know, outside the machin, etc. So if you speak, I'm going to listen. Probably I'm going to makabal. I help you. You help me. And before you know it, we're over countless numbers of Isurim. But let's learn another lesson from Miriam because I think it will be very helpful for us to clarify the halachas. What did Miriam do? <clears throat> Miriam saw her brother doing what she thought was wrong. <clears throat> Miriam assumed that even if you're a Navi, you're still allowed to be with your spouse. <clears throat> and she assumed that Moshe Rabbeinu was doing something wrong. Okay, so what did she do? <clears throat> she went to the Kohen Gadol, to her brother, to complain. Why? Because she intended that her brother, the Kohen Gadol, would then speak to Moshe and correct him. So what she was doing was for a very, very good purpose. She was not <clears throat> blabbing about her brother. She was not bad-mouthing her brother. She loved her brother deeply. This was the brother for whom she risked her life. She waited at, at the Nile. And this was the brother she loved. And all she did here was intending completely for the good of her brother. <clears throat> she went and told this event. And yet what? Yet she was severely punished. And explains that this is probably the third area that we make a mistake about and why Lashon Hara is so prevalent. Because the vast majority of the Lashon Hara that we speak is not ill-intended. We're not trying to blast people. We're not trying to put them down. We're not trying to knock people. We just tell stories. Listen, this is what happened and this is what so-and-so did. And we just, we just like to talk in what sounds like an innocent-sounding sort of way. And if you'd like to take the litmus test of whether it's innocent or not, let's look at one of the curses that the Torah gives to one who speaks Lashon Hara. Maka Curse be the one who attacks his friend in hiding. The Torah explains to us that one of the prohibitions of Lashon Hara is curse be the one who attacks his friend in hiding. What does that mean? He attacks his friend in hiding. And that's when you speak Lashon Hara. Why? I'm telling you a story. What's the first and the most primary solution to all Lashon Hara? 
when the person I'm telling the story about shows up. All of a sudden, <laughs> I change the topic. Now, wait a minute. It was just an innocent story. It was just, you know, some interesting thing, a tidbit. But why is it that when the person himself who we're speaking about shows up, the conversation suddenly stops? Because the reality is that if this person were here, we would never speak that way. Why? Because it's not nice. It damages his reputation and damages his standing. It's nasty. Why do I do it? Because he's not here. And cursed be the one who attacks his friend in hiding, meaning I have my invisibility cloak on because he's not here, I speak. But the Torah's definition of the curse lets us know that really these are nasty words that are damaging. Again, as the Rambam defines it, words that hurt, words that damage. And even though it's true that most of the time we're not trying to blast people, we're not trying to knock them and put them down, we're just telling interesting stories, the reality is that they're very damaging. If the person were here himself, I would never speak that way. And explains the Chavetz Chaim, one of the things to realize is that if I had any degree of a Haftal Recha Kamocha, let's imagine for a minute that I really love my friend, would I ever speak that way? About my own reputation, about the way people look at me, I'm so concerned. And if I hear somebody speaking negatively about me, I beg him, please, come on, come on, have Brahmanas, please, don't, don't spread the word, that's not nice. And it would bother me acutely. Why is it that when I show up and tell stories, I'm not that concerned? Because it's not me. And therefore, clearly, one of the isurim, one of the prohibitions involved is a violation of an assay. It's obviously violating v'haftarach kamocha. If I love my neighbor as myself, I wouldn't speak that way. But again, the, one of the reasons that we often speak is because we don't recognize the harm, we don't realize how bad it is. Number one, the mistake we make is we think that if it's true, it can't be Lashonara. You see from Miriam that's not true at all. By definition, it has to be true for it to be Lashonara. And number two, we think that, you know, it's not really such a terrible thing to do. After all, you know, I'm not harming anybody. I'm not really hurting them in any real way. I'm just telling some interesting stories. And the truth is it's very damaging. And even if I'm not intending to harm the person, even if I'm not really interested in, in hurting them in any real way, it's still absolutely harming. And again, the second Chiddush, which really is probably one of the biggest, is that it's a full Isser of the Torah. Just like eating treif, and again, probably far worse than eating treif, because really what's happening is you're violating countless numbers of Isurim in one given time. And let's focus on the Torah's understanding of Lashonara by looking at the actual source. Probably the single makar, the center of what Lashonara is, stems from a Pasuk in Vayikra, Different ways to translate it, learn it, don't be a peddler. Don't be a peddler in your nation. What does a peddler do? A peddler goes from this one and buys and that one to sell. This one takes from this one, gives to that one. Don't be a peddler. And don't go to this one, see what's happening in his house, and then go to that one and tell him, and don't go from that house to this house. Don't be a tailbearer, don't be a peddler, going from house to house, telling over what's happening. And this definition is essential to understand some of the particulars of the actual losase. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, people make another mistake. They think that Lashon Hara is only if you speak. In other words, I'm speaking, so obviously it's Lashon Hara. I get it. It has to be true. That's what makes Lashon Hara. 
even if I don't intend to harm the person, it's Lashon Hara. And even, you know, even though I don't mean a bad thing, but it's really many Yisurim, I got that. But what about if I write it? I'm not speaking. I'm not speaking Lashon Hara. I'm sending an email. I'm sending a text. It explains the Chavetz Chaim, any method of communication is included in the talebearer, is included in that peddler. What does the peddler do? He goes from this one to this one, telling, selling his wares. The Torah doesn't say specifically don't speak words of Lashon Hara. The Torah says don't be a peddler. Don't be the one to go from this one to that one, and don't bring your wares from this one to that one. How you bring your wares, you can bring them any way you want. You can bring them with speech, you can bring them with writing, you can bring them with hinting. Explains the Chavetz Chaim that any method of communication that degrades another Jew is included in the Isser of Lashon Hara. Now, in our day and age, one of the most obvious ones, it's sad to say, is a terrible, terrible issue, are these things called blogs. A lot of people don't realize it, but blog is actually Rashi Tevos. It's a, an acronym for Bali Emes Ugvul, without any truth and without any limits. People write things, they think, they think they're anonymous, they put them on the internet, and without any rhyme or reason, they destroy people's reputations, they destroy people's standing, without any truth, without any limits, they just blast people. It is absolutely 100% lush and horror, and there is no heter. And if you tell me the world knows about it, look carefully in halachas of time, you will not find such a heter. It does not say anywhere that if everyone knows about it, it's not Lashon Hara. Number one, not everyone knows about it because the proof in the pudding is you're reading it. If you're reading that blog, obviously you didn't know the story till you read it. So not everyone knows it. And there is no heter, even if it's out there already in public domain, even if everyone, a lot of people read it, it's 100% usher, it's absolutely Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is forbidden in speech, it's forbidden in writing, if you publish something in a newspaper, if you put something on the internet, it's absolutely as forbidden. It's fully within the category of Lashonara. And the only difference is it's probably much worse because it spreads much faster, much quicker, and does a lot more damage. But what's also interesting to note, and something that the Chavetz Chaim tells us, that it's not only direct communication, even indirect communication. Let's say I hint. So a common expression, Ba'apo Yaragish, with his nose, he killed a person, meaning some people are looking around and someone mentions Ruvain's name. And I kind of look up, snub my nose, <laughs> Ruvain, <laughs> fully 100% Lashon Hara. With my little trickery of my nose raising and kind of rolling my eyes, I've clearly relayed the message that I do not hold of Ruvain. You thought he was such and such, you thought he was such and such, and I clearly let you know that I disagree. I look at him as whatever, 100% forbidden, 100% Lashon Hara. The Torah doesn't say don't speak words of Lashon Hara. Don't be a peddler. Don't degrade other Jews. Don't put them down. Whether you do it with speech, whether you do it in writing, whether you do it with Ramazim, with signs, Rolling of eyes and all these types of things are fully included in the Isser as much as speaking them out. But there's one more step that the Chavetz Chaim explains to us that's even more compelling. Let's assume I have a piece of writing of Ruvain. And in this piece of writing, it's clear that Ruvain is not too educated. Maybe there's spelling errors or grammatic errors, or maybe 
the whole construction logically is is weak. Maybe it shows he doesn't know how to learn or whatever it may be. And I say, check this out. Look at this. Now, I didn't speak Lashon Hara. Number one, I didn't speak. Number two, I didn't say anything derogatory. I just showed you Ruvain's notes or what he wrote. If you look at that and you say, hmm, I see this Ruvain is not educated, not learned, doesn't know how to learn, whatever it may be, I violated fully the losasei, loselech rocha bamecha. Why? Because I communicated to you the message very clearly that Ruvain is not who you think he was. I damaged his reputation, I damaged his standing, whether I do it with speech, whether I do it with hinting, whether I do it by writing on the internet, whether I do it by just showing you his poor work or his lousy penmanship or whatever it may be, if I've degraded him, if I put him down, I fully violated losasei, loselech, rachel, ba'amecha, don't be a peddler, don't degrade, don't put down other Jews. But let's learn another lesson from Miriam. Who was Miriam speaking about? Now, we said already, obviously, she intended for the good, and she wasn't trying to blast people. And again, that's a big mistake that people make. They think that if you're not really intending to hurt people, you're just kind of blabbing, it's okay. We see it's not true because Miriam, quite the opposite, she meant it totally for the good, and yet it was completely lush in her. But who was she speaking about? She was not speaking about a stranger. She's not speaking about some disinterested party. She was speaking about her own brother. And explains all the time that this is another mistake that people often make. Yeah, I can't speak about that one and that one, but my own family, obviously that's not Lashon Hara. Your own family are as Jewish as other people, and if you speak Lashon Hara about them, you violate the Isra as much as anyone else. And explains all the time, if you have one brother who goes to his father about another brother, it's fully Lashon Hara. A sister about a brother, a brother to a mother, it doesn't matter. Now, if there's a Toelis, if there's a positive reason. We'll discuss in later sessions when it's permitted, and there are many times when it's permitted, and in fact it's a mitzvah. But assuming that it doesn't have a positive reason, just complaining, just carping, just maybe just telling stories, it's fully 100% Lashon Hara. And I believe one of the areas that people make the biggest mistake is they think, well, about my spouse, <laughs> that's that's not Lashon Hara. And many a time, he'll have a husband complain about his wife, or wife complain about the husband, and a woman will call up his friend, her friend and say, oh, you know, my husband did this, and this. Oh, your husband did that. Well, you should know what my husband does. And they'll go on and on and on complaining about their husbands. Now, let's be very frank and candid about this. Obviously, it's 100% Lush and Hara. There's no benefit. Nothing good comes out of it. All that happens is you malign and debase your husband in front of other people. Now, for the record, it's very interesting because you know your husband has a lot of good qualities. Your friend only hears the bad. And what your friend thinks about your husband is pretty lousy, and the fact that you're destroying your own husband's reputation somehow doesn't enter into the mix when you're emotionally embroiled and involved, but it's pretty, pretty nasty and pretty damaging. But let's focus on another element of this. A marriage is one of the most holy, most proper and noble relationships in existence, and a husband and wife share things that are supposed to remain sacred. What's in that marriage remains in that marriage. And a husband and wife are supposed to be best friends, dedicated to each other, involved with each other. And if you have a problem with your husband, you have a problem with your wife, you deal with it. If it's a shalom bias problem, you speak to someone, you speak to a rov, you go to a marriage therapist. There are very real ways and methods to deal with the issues. But if you're going to open your mouth to your friends and this one and relatives and that one, 
what you're going to do is, number one, speak countless numbers of Lashon Hara. Number two, you're damaging your marriage. And number three, you're degrading the entire sanctity of what a marriage is supposed to be. Husband and wife are dedicated to each other. There are things that are private, and it's no one's business what goes on in your marriage. Again, if there's a particular problem and you need help, you seek help. You speak to someone older and wiser for the specific reason of getting aids and advice how to deal with it. But when you're blabbing to your friends, when you go to your mother, when you go to your mother-in-law, what you're doing is you're blabbing. You're just opening a mouth, degrading your husband or your wife, and what you're doing is violating countless number of Yisurim, and there is no heter. There's no excuse for it, no rationale other than, I'm weak. But understand what you're doing. <clears throat> comparable to eating treif, comparable to eating McDonald's, what you're doing is violating countless number of Yisurim. You're damaging your marriage, and it's a really nasty thing to do. And again, from Miriam, we see that even if it's a relative who you love, Lamaisa, it's still Lashon Hara, it's forbidden, and it violates all the Yisurim. But let's learn a very deep lesson from Miriam. Let's take a look at what, in fact, she did wrong. Here's what happens. She overhears Tzipora, the wife of Moshe, saying, Oh, I feel terrible for Eldad and uh, wives. They're going to separate from their wives as my husband separated from me. At that point, Miriam realized that Moshe is doing something wrong. <clears throat> We're Nevi'im, says Miriam to herself. Aaron and I are Nevi'im. We don't separate from our spouse. And what Moshe is doing is he's acting, I guess, too holy, <clears throat> acting frumer than he should be. He's obviously violating <clears throat> a Torah prohibition. He has obligations to his wife and he's not honoring them. Moshe Rabbeinu is acting wrong. Okay, so with that understanding, <clears throat> what does she do? She goes to the next greatest person in a generation, the Kohen Gadol, and asks advice, <clears throat> what do we do about the problem? So why did she, why did she blame for speaking Lashon Hara? She saw Moshe Rabbeinu doing something wrong. She went not out in public to blab. She went to the Kohen Gadol to ask, you know, what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? And Hashem gets furious, sends her outside the Machan, and she's, speak Lashon Hara, and forever we're told, remember that which Hashem did to Miriam? Where did she speak Lashon Hara? What she did was absolutely intended for the good. And she saw Moshe Rabbeinu doing something wrong. She tried to help him. What is she being blasted for? And I believe this is a fundamental principle that comes up so many times in our speaking. Chavetz Chaim explains there is a specific Judge your neighbor, judge your friend favorably. And explains the time what that means is like this. If my neighbor, if my friend is a Bainani, average person like me, a regular person, then if he did something that could go this way, could go that way, it's sort of hard to know. There's a full mitzvah say, derais, a full positive commandment for me to judge him favorably. Let's assume this Bainani regular person did something a little bit kind of suspicious. It looks, looks kind of mm, not so kosher. Explains the time. In that case, I don't have the full assay. It's still suggested. It's still a good idea for me to at least keep it, you know, as a maybe, as I'm not sure. But I don't fully violate the assay because it does really look, um, you know, pretty bad. Okay. But explains the time. Let's say the person I'm dealing with is a very righteous person who very rarely does things wrong. In that case, even if that person did something that really leans to the negative side, that really looks bad, I have a full mitzvah say, the araisa, 
the full obligation from the Torah to judge him favorably. And if I don't, if I judge him the opposite, what happens is I violate this losasay. I'm sorry, this say. So watch what happens. <clears throat> Invariably, we're in a situation where someone does something. And between you, me, and the lamppost, if this were in a based in, <clears throat> this were in a court of law and we were all objective, we'd probably admit that, well, hmm, hard to really know. I mean, maybe he meant that, maybe he meant this, sort of hard to know. But human nature being what it is, <clears throat> we tend to be very judgmental <clears throat> about my own concerns, about me. I'm very, very favorable. I'm very light <clears throat> and very easygoing. About other people, I don't have that same tendency. I tend to judge harshly and to the side of the chov, of the obligation. So invariably what happens is we judge other people not so favorably. What happens if I judge that other person not so favorably? So Ruvain did something. It could have been this way, could have been that way. And let's assume it was in the middle and I violated this loss to say, I mean, I violated this, I say I didn't judge him favorably. So I assume that he did something wrong. And then I go ahead and tell Shimon about what Ruvain did. Automatically, I violated a number of Isurim. Number one, obviously, I have to judge him favorably. But if I judged him not favorably, and then because of my mistake, I then go tell about what he did wrong, and I'm the one who's wrong, obviously, I violated the Aseb, Sedek Tishman, Techa, but then I spoke Lashon Hara, or Moti Shemra, and I maligned him. It explains the Chavetz Chaim, that's exactly what happened to Miriam. You see, it happens to be that Moshe Rabbeinu was the single greatest human being who ever existed. And it happened to be true that other Nevi'im can be in the ways of the world and still occasionally get Nevoah, but Moshe Rabbeinu had a very different relationship with Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was on call 24-7 at any time. Moshe Rabbeinu had a different level of Nevoah, and on his level of Nevoah, he couldn't no longer be with his wife in that same way. What Miriam's mistake was judging Moshe by her standards, by maybe Aaron's standards. Hashem's complaint to Miriam was, but Moshe, Avdi, it's, it's Moshe Rabbeinu, it's my Evid, you should have known better. And because she was guilty of not judging him appropriately, number one, obviously, she violated on some on her level, that mitzvah say, but then she, because she learned the wrong pshat, the wrong understanding, when she went to Aaron and said it, she was Moti Shemra, it's false. What Moshe Rabbeinu did was 100% correct. And what he did was 100% right. And Miriam, you should have known it. And because you should have known it, and you should have judged him favorably, now not only are you guilty of not judging him favorably, now you're speaking Moti Shemar, you're maligning him, you're debasing him, you've spoken Lashon Hara. And explains the Chavetz Chaim that this is another very common situation. Very often when we're dealing with friends, when we're dealing with other people, we tend to judge them harshly, we tend to be very judgmental, and if we do that again, many times we'll violate directly the assay of B'tzedek Teshim judge your favor, favorably your friend. But even if we don't, let's even say it's a little bit leaning towards the negative side. If I actually decide that it's wrong, and I actually decide that he stole or did something wrong, but I don't have concrete evidence, so even if I didn't violate the assay, if I now go malign him, it's Matzeshemra. I've now learned the wrong shot in it, and I've now debased him, I've degraded him, and I now violated many, many Isurim. And there's one more step that's critical to understand in terms of these halachas. These are full Isurim of the Torah. I'm not allowed to wear shatnas. I'm not allowed to drive a car on Shabbos. I'm not allowed to smoke on Shabbos. We understand these things. But what the Chavetz <clears throat> makes very clearly 
to us is the fact that each losa say has with it a very real obligation upon us to keep it. Let's assume for a minute that the only way I can earn a living is by working on Shabbos. Now, in the 1920s in the United States of America, that was a state of being. You could earn a living only by working on Shabbos. And if you showed up on Friday and told your boss you're not going to be there on Saturday, your boss said to you, well, don't bother showing up on Monday. So what's Allah? What's Allah in the case where the only way I could support my family is by working on Shabbos? So it doesn't take a tremendous amount of Torah knowledge to recognize that you're not allowed to work. For as any losa say in the Torah, we're obligated to give up all of our wealth. For an assay, to keep any given assay, I have to give 20% of my wealth. But that's it. If the only way I could get a little of in town, the only way I could put on tzitzis, the only way I could get tillin is by spending a huge sum of money, I'm only obligated to spend up to 20% of my net value. But when it comes to a losa say, to not violating any negative prohibition of Torah, I'm obligated to sacrifice all of my wealth. I could have millions in the bank. And I'm obligated to sacrifice every penny. Hashem said don't, and I have no right to say yes, even if it costs me anything, even if I lose my job, even if I lose my wealth, whatever it may be. And explains the time that this often is a mistake that we make when it comes to Lashon Hara. Many times we're in a situation where we don't want to speak Lashon Hara. Let's say you're at work, and you don't really want to speak Lashon Hara, but people there do that. And you realize that if I don't speak, you know, like everybody else does, people are going to look at me funny, and maybe even I'll lose my job. Explains the time you're obligated not to speak Lashon Hara, even if it means losing your job, even if it means losing people's respect, even if people look down on you, because it's a full losa say in the Torah. And I believe what Miriam teaches us is quite a number of lessons. The first and primary lesson that we have to remember is that Lashon Hara is, by definition, things that are true. What Miriam said was absolutely true. Moshe separated from his wife. The definition of Lashon Hara is that it's words that are true. If I tell you that Ruvain did something, if I tell you that Sarah did something, that's if it's true and I know it to be true, that's what makes Lashon Hara. If it's not true, it's probably worse. It's Mati Shemra. But by definition, it has to be true. There's a specific losa say to remember that which Hashem did to Miriam because that's how serious Lashon Hara is. There are 17 losa says, 14 assays, and 4 curses. Meaning to say, in any little speech, far worse than eating a cheeseburger. And what we learn from Miriam is it's really, really also. It's not just like a minah chasidus, a nice thing to work on, you know, a a nice mida. It's fully usher, fully forbidden, like eating treif, like wearing shatnas. And it, there is no reason, even if someone pressured me, even if the person was my father, even if the person was my rebbe, even if the person was somebody I re- deeply respected, and they, and they kept bothering me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. If there's a toelas, if there's a positive reason, again, in the coming sessions, we'll see when that's permitted. But assuming that there is no toelas, there's no positive reason for it, it's fully Lashonara, even if I'm pressured, even if I'm going to lose money, even if I'll lose my job, it's fully, fully usher, and all of these surim apply. Aaron also violated the Isser. Why? Because not only is speaking Lashonara usher, listening is usher as well. There are three separate modalities. It's forbidden to speak it, forbidden to listen, and forbidden to be macabre, to accept it to be true. And Miriam spoke Lashonara. She was punished for it. Aaron listened to Lashonara. Again, he wasn't as noticeably punished because he didn't begin it. 
but certainly if a person speaks or listens, and thirdly, if they're macabre, if they accept it as true, each one a discrete, separate losa says, and are all forbidden. We learn another lesson from Miriam. She intended no harm. What she did was her brother was doing something she assumed was wrong. She went to Aaron, her other brother, to help Moshe, yet she's blasted for speaking Lashon Hara. And again, explains the time one of the common reasons that we speak Lashon Hara is we don't view it as so egregious. It's not really bad. We're just telling stories. Cursed be the one who hits his friend in hiding. The only reason I tell the story is because he's not here. If you he were here, I'd be very quiet. And the reality is, as the Rambam defines Lashon Hara, words that hurt, words that damage. If I tell a story that spreads, and it goes from this one to this one, and it causes my friend harm, whether it be financial harm, whether it be embarrassment, whether it causing him pain, anything that damages him in any way, and that is fully Lashon Hara. Again, as the Torah defines it, Loselech Rocha don't be a talebearer. Don't be a person who goes from house to house like this peddler. And Lashon Hara is not only in speech. Obviously, if I speak derogatory stories, I violate Los- the Losa says. But additionally, explains the Chavetz Chaim, any method of communication, the Torah didn't say don't speak Lashon Hara. The Torah said don't be a peddler. Whether you speak it, whether you write it, whether you hint it, whether you show a person's bad work and put them in a damaging light, all of these violate the Losa say equally because the method of communication doesn't matter. We learn another lesson from Miriam that even though Miriam was speaking about a brother, a close relative, it's still Lashon Hara. It's forbidden to speak about your parents, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. It's equally forbidden to speak about your spouse. If there is a toelis, you speak to someone for that purpose, if there's a specific reason that's needed, but just blabbing to friends and talking and venting isn't included in that. And also explains the Chavetz Chaim, there are times when it's even forbidden to speak about a child. Most stories about children are considered just kindish amices. It's not a big deal. If I tell you now that Ramosha Feinstein, when he was eight years old, it's such as, it's, you know, he was a child, doesn't reflect badly. But it explains the time there are times when it's even forbidden to speak about a child. If that child will be damaged through that speech, let's say I tell a story and the, the child is thrown out of school or thrown out of camp or people won't let the children play with him, it's fully within the category of Lashon Hara. Again, many times it won't be Lashon Hara because people look at things that kids do as just juvenile things that they'll grow out of. But again, there are times when it will be. The point is that Lashon Hara is forbidden about any member of the Jewish nation, older or younger, far away or closest relative, old or young. The concept still applies. Again, for a child, many times it's not derogatory because it's accepted that way. And probably one of the greatest lessons we learn from Miriam is the fact that if I judge people not favorably, and I then speak about them. Number one, I violate the full assay of Betzedek Tishman Amitecha. And number two, I then speak Lashonar with all of its countless number of Yisurim. And I want to close with one last thought that the Chavetz Chaim shares with us. It's actually based on the Gemara Makas. The Gemara Makas tells us that whenever the Torah forbids something, if you're in a situation where you're tempted to do it, you could do it, and you don't, you're given schar, you're given reward, the amount of reward as if you, the opposite, had you done it. Explains Gemara, if a person has a desire for illicit relations, and he could do it, and he resists, he's given so much reward as if the counterforce of what this full violation would have been. 
meaning to say we see the Torah very, very strict about punishments. A person could get Malchus, a person could get Misa, and that part is absolutely true because the Torah considers actions that we do to be very grave and very serious. What we often miss is the counterpart of that. We miss the fact that obviously these actions, if I don't do them, bring me tremendous reward. So let's take one simple example. If a person violates a full losasei of the Torah, let's go back to a cheeseburger example. Let's say I walk into McDonald's, and again, let's assume for a minute that it really is Basav Cholov, and I'm about to sit down to eat it, and two witnesses walk in and say, Stop! What are you doing? I say, What do you want to do? I want to eat. Don't you understand? It? It's Basav Cholov. It's, it's, it's fully losasei. I say, I don't care about that. And I chomp away and I eat my full kazayas of my Basav Cholov. Okay, what these two guys do? They take me into Beisden, and Beisden asks me, were you aware? Yes, I was. The witnesses stayed. They what? Did you give us straw? Warning? Yes, he did. Okay. Beisden paskins that I'm Chayv Malkus. What does Malkus mean? Lashes. They take me out in a public place, and they tie my arms to a post. The entire town gathers. They take off my shirt, and they lash me. And the Gemara Malkus is very clear how the whip is made. But the point is, there's a doctor on hand to make sure that I don't receive too much because I could die from it. But in front of the entire congregation, the entire town sees me embarrassed, humiliated, totally, totally booshed out. Why is that? Is it because the Torah is cruel? Is it because the Torah is mean and vindictive? What we fail to realize is the gravity of our actions. When Hashem created us, Hashem put us in this world and gave us tremendous potential, our actions are huge. And what they accomplish on the positive or the negative are beyond anything we could ever imagine. In this world, in the world to come, in the upper world, the human being was put onto this planet given the position of steward of creation. The entire cosmos was created because of you and is dependent upon you. We don't realize it, but when the Torah enforces punishments like Makas or Misa and death, we begin to realize how grave our actions are. But what that means on the flip side is, every moment, every moment that a person closes his mouth and doesn't speak Lashon Hara, Zal tell us, he's zocha to schar, he's zocha to reward, no malach, no creation can ever envision or imagine. As brilliant as Malachim are, as clearly as they see, they can't envision or imagine the tremendous reward that a human being gets for one time closing his mouth and not speaking Lashon Hara. Why? Because if I speak Lashon Hara, so many surim I violate. You see how grave the Torah considers it, and how serious it is. If I resist it, I'm given the reward opposite what the punishment, because that's how serious the action is. And explains the Chavetz Chaim, one of the most productive Things a person can do is learn to guard their tongue. Number one, when you speak, you violate so many surim, you spend your olam haba, you do so much damage. And number two, when you learn to guard your tongue, every time you resist, even if you speak many times, but one time you resist, you're given schar, you're given reward that no malach, no creation can imagine a vision. May Kaddish Baruch Hu grant us the wisdom, understanding, and ability to put this into practice. You've been listening to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is one of many Shmooz series. The Shmooz needs your help to continue its vital work. We have no major donors and are supported by people who recognize the value of the message and want to help us get it out to as wide an audience as possible. 
please go to theschmooze.com donate section where you can be a part of making this dream a reality. That's www.theshmuz.com. Theschmooze.com.